Hello everyone, welcome to our bonus podcast. I'm the host Donatos Rubanas and I'm joined by my colleagues Vitis Vishnauskas and Augustus Shulauskas. Hello guys. Hello. Hello. It's uh, one of the, these rare podcasts where we don't have Ritis and his usual retro jerseys uh, collection, let's say, right? And Ritis just came back from a trip where he scouted the future number one overall draft pick, Victor Vembanyama, right? How it, was your time in it's, France? It's true. Well, there's not much to scout. He's already <laughs> scouted and, and he's already locked as a number one pick, in my opinion. Actually, my retro jersey collection got bigger. I bought some new shirts, uh, which I'm going to flex in, in our okay. future podcast. Are you uh, going to disclose the names on these? Or just... Should I? Or should I keep some... Yeah. I want, I want to see that as a surprise. Mystery. Okay. Like, okay. okay. Let, let's keep it f- for our future podcasts. Uh, I will reveal those jerseys. For sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Um, well, talking about the trip and actually about the basketball experience as I went to the um, uh, Metropolitan's home game against Le Portel on Friday evening. Uh, obviously, I was there to witness uh, Victor Vembanyama and really I was... Um, amazed at how good he is and how much he already improved even though he's just 18 years old i mean i remember last season his jump shot mechanics were not really fluid and right now he has a better jump shot his jump shot sort of reminds me of porzingis he's shooting transition freeze he's shooting spot up shots fadeaway jumpers and he was hitting them with a good percentage in this particular game that i uh, that i watched and actually leportel they were defending in a zone for the whole first half, basically because they wanted to limit Vembanyama's touches as much as possible. So uh, Vincent Colet's team didn't force their offense through Vembanyama. All the numbers he got, all the stats he got, they came naturally. Obviously, he got a lot of points above the rim. Uh, those were easy dunks or, or layups for him. Uh, but uh, the thing that impressed me the most is his basketball IQ, the way he reads the game. Some flashy no-look passes, um, some uh, uh, great uh, defensive reads. Obviously, it's amazing to see when a player is a rim protector and the opposing player is getting ready for a spot-up free. But in a second, Vembanyama from rim protector becomes a perimeter guard and he just blocks the shot. He blocked two three-point shots in in, in this game. And, uh, well, Vincent Collet has a plan for him let's say he knows how many minutes he's gonna play when he's gonna be taken out of the game and as soon as he's substituted he doesn't sit on a bench he goes um, somewhere near the bench and and works with his uh, physiotherapist I believe Uh, obviously they're taking care of his body they're very careful making sure that he doesn't have a an overload and he doesn't get injured this is the most important thing but it's great to see such a promising talent, a uh, future number one pick live in, in, in a French league game. Uh, actually, Metropolitans is not a bad basketball team. They have some good players like Waters or, or Falfi. And in the French league, they're kind of competitive. I believe they have two wins and one loss so far in the beginning of the regular season. But the funny thing is that uh, the local crowd, the, in the local crowd, there were a lot of kids and they are not that interested in Victor Vembanyama. They are interested in the mascot, Buzzy. Okay. They didn't really care about Vembanyama dunking the ball. All they did was uh, taking selfies with Buzzy. 
<laughs> having this rare opportunity, you know, to witness one of the greatest uh, I mean, they're players kids. coming of France. France. They're, they're well, like six or seven. But they're gonna years regret. Old. They're gonna regret. Nah, oh, they six and seven years old. Yeah, uh, I thought that they're <laughs> older. Okay. kindergarten. Yeah, okay. Uh, there were traveling fans from La Portela actually, and and quite a lot of them. Uh, the arena is small you know uh it's it's not in the center of paris it's somewhere in the suburbs you have yeah. to go like 50 minutes by metro and anyway. I, i think that they will lose this arena because of their expiring contract and from at least how it was few months ago it was about that metropolitans won't have a gym to play okay and it's kind of you know the i thought last I, season for them i thought i could get their their jersey but i couldn't um They were not selling any. Uh, they were selling beer and snacks only. Uh, I wanted some merchandise, but I couldn't get any. That's that. That's the sad part. But the beautiful part is that in one weekend, I witnessed Victor Wembanyama, and I also witnessed uh, Lionel Messi scoring his 60th free kick of his career. So that was a good good trip for me. And Manchester City won six three against yeah. United. Well, that's that's a different story. I, but I mean, I was I, expecting I the City jersey today. I was, <laughs> pod, so I was in Parc de France for for the first time to see PSG. So yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's stop this. Let's stop this thing and let's uh, focus ba- on basketball only. Basketball only. You're okay, so only for you this can pod. cut you can cut all my words about football. Just <laughs> stick to Vembaniama. Yeah, for for this pod, uh, we're a few days away from the beginning of very exciting Euroleague season. A lot of big transfer moves, a lot of interesting players joining teams, kind of sh- shift of power in the Euroleague. So we're gonna witness a lot of unpredictable things, uh, I believe. And f- for this pod, we prepared uh, nine bold predictions for the Euroleague uh, season. Each of us will give free predictions and at the end of the pod we will have this kind of bet we'll have five takes and at the end of the season we'll we'll count uh, the answers will count who was right who was wrong and wh- whoever loses we will f- think about some let's say punishment <laughs> or something because for some mm, eating super spicy chicken wings is like a Regular day at the office, like for Ritis and to for me, us, it's a pleasure. It, it's, it might, you know, kill the following week, basically. So probably I would love to see you hosting the podcast while eating hot wings. I'm actually up for the challenge. I just feel bad for August because he has to play <laughs> in second division, and we don't. Especially, it's gonna be probably the final four time, so we don't want. I hope we are going to, to put be there though. Their chances of winning the title and making to the first division in jeopardy. If uh, Ritis wins, uh, we are going to have to buy him uh, a jersey. Okay. What do you think? Okay, but Sound a jersey awesome. of my choice. A retro jersey, you know. Yeah, retro jersey. Hopefully not around like a couple thousand euros. No, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> we will have a clear ceiling of how many euros yeah. you can spend on that. But I like the idea. I, I would love to get something from you. Okay. So we we'll figure something out. And actually, if you have some good ideas about uh, yeah. our bets, uh, just let us know what you, what you think we should do, or we should buy, or or, or we should how should uh, how should we suffer in case we yeah. lose? <laughs> exactly. And don't forget to click like button below this video because it really helps uh, us to grow. And if you didn't subscribe our channel, just please do it right now. Basketnews.com on YouTube. So let's start with our nine bold predictions. Augustus, what do you have? My first For one first is one. my first one is uh, Panathinaikos will be the first team to fire their coach. Okay. 
And uh, we already talked about a little bit about them last week, uh, but just to sum up, I'm not convinced with their roster choices and the, their fit together. Uh, I'm not sure how you know all the uh, foreign players will buy into Radonjic's system. Uh, we all know that there might be some you know communication is issues there. Um, what do you mean by communication issues? Just you know how <laughs> he doesn't speak perfect English. Yeah. I'm I'm just wondering how communication works in in Pau because their GM Argiris Padulakis is also not very good in English, but basketball probably you know basketball is universal language. Let's see which will help well, them connect. Well, we have connect. some some examples of coaches that that were working with limited English. Let's say, but language still, is really a barrier. I mean, if you remember Dusko Vujovic, for example, he was amazing with Partizan. He went to Czeskandi, had this horrible season uh, of of the last two decades, uh, basically. So it's really a thing in Euroleague. You know, for me, it's not the biggest. Uh, of course, let's say the the warning point, but uh, it's still let's say a question a question mark here. Their you know their offense. I know it's early in the season, but they scored fifty two points against uh, Olympiakos yesterday in the Greek Cup final. Super and, Cup, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they had like nine points in the first two or three minutes, so they scored forty three in the next thirty seven minutes. Let's say, um, you know, is their first option on offense is good enough to you know to be to carry a team to to, to a lot of wins, uh, some spacing issues. Uh, Nate Walters now is out, so uh, just a lot of question marks. And you know, we all know how impatient the owners are in in Europe and uh especially in power especially there and Dimitris so, is back to business so yeah so yeah in my eyes this is the you know the bomb that is ticking that already started to tick uh, with this loss with this huge loss against uh, Olympiakos so that's my first uh, first take that Pau will be the first team I was choosing between them and uh Basconia but uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Pavo just because of all these questions and the owner. Talking so. about coaches getting fired, I have four teams on my radar, and I agree with Same. your take. I have Pavo, I have Basconia, I have Zvezda and Maccabi. Same. Same Zvezda point. has an inexperienced coach who knows what's gonna happen, and Basconia they just don't look very solid on paper right now, and we know that Basconia. Uh, management doesn't have a lot of patience usually and Maccabi well Odet Katash is not a big name coach he has a lot to prove and and uh, they build a strong roster but we were talking about this uh, in our last podcast will it be will there be good chemistry will they be able to play together and if they will, will be struggling Maccabi will not tolerate losing streaks so these are four teams I have under the radar in terms of firing the head coach and I think Panathinaikos is number one in the list for me as well because basically in my opinion they hired a defensive-minded coach and they built an offensive-oriented roster which doesn't really make sense to me Mm. For me, just you know, just going back to the impatience, let's say, of the owners. For me, this is like a big topic. I think it's a uh, a big issue in European basketball. Just, uh, but in Euroleague, it's improving. No, I mean, I remember the season. It was l probably the season we had Budishnos, and I think on on the midway of the season, we had like seven or eight 
coaches fired, but in the last few years, I think the number didn't get higher than four or five. For I example. think the improvement is only felt with those most stable and consistent uh, clubs yeah. like uh, Madrid, Barcelona, Milano. They're trusting Messina, FS obviously with Ataman. And all these teams now have really big names like who have the authority over yeah. the players. And they're and building those teams. They're, yeah, they're picking exactly. the players. And they're showing a good example. But, you know, for me, what I wanted to say is that it's if you're firing a head coach after two, three games, after two months of the season, for me, that's not only the, the coach's fault. Like, that's the fault of the GM, I think, even more than the coach himself. Because either you are wrong in the selection process or either you don't have enough patience. Like, no great team was built in one or two months of the preseason. And... Uh, especially with this year, if I'm going to see with all the Eurobasket going on, with all the national teams playing, if I'm going to see a, a, a coach fired after one or two months, for me, it's going to be even more crazier. And it's it's something I would like to ch to see change in Europe a bit uh, in, the, in the next years. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, sometimes firing coaches doesn't really make sense sometimes coaches get fired not because of their results but because of some inside conflicts they have with the management i remember pedro martinez situation with basconia mm -hmm. they were playing good basketball but he got fired because basically there were too many too many disagreements uh, yeah this is something i don't like because the euroleague is so competitive no one is uh, secured from, from losing streaks and sometimes yeah. these could be painful one point, two point losses. Uh, you cannot base your decision only on the standings. You need to see the bigger picture. Is the team really playing bad basketball? If so, yeah. maybe changes are needed. But if you lose three games playing quality basketball against um, Olympiacos, Barcelona, and and Armani, come on, man, these are these are <laughs> powerhouses. Yeah. Yeah, in some situations, teams are impatient, but at some, we have some great examples like Monaco. It was a huge turnaround when they decided to go after Sasha Bradovic because Zvezda Mitrovic, he just lost the locker room. That's one of the signs when you actually need to make the move. And we saw that it turned out to be way better for Monaco because then they were just becoming a playoff team and had this incredible run this uh, last season. So what is your first take? Uh, my take is also related uh, to the head coach. And, of course, this is uh, our famous coach, Ergin Ataman. He is the head coach who, in the modern EuroLeague era, uh, with the new format since 2016, he had the most ejections in the EuroLeague as the head coach. He has yeah. five. five. Trinkieri has four. And I think Bartsokas has three. But... I think my bold take is that he won't get get ejected a single time uh, the following year. Uh, there are a few uh, reasons uh, behind it. Uh, first of all, last year he got ejected three times uh, and he matched Trinquieri's um, record of ejections per season because I think uh, Trinquieri got ejected three times two years ago. Uh, and um, just to realize how big this number is, for example, in season seven, 2017 and 18, there were only two ejections in the entire EuroLeague. So Ataman got fired uh, fired up uh, last year, but I think that it was basically because uh, he needed to wake up his team. They were losing badly in the beginning of the season. 
they weren't focused enough. They lost the motivation uh, after they winning the championship. So, you know, Atman was not just not feeling comfortable with, with that. Now he has players like Will, newcomers like Will Clyburn, Ante Zizic, Polonara. Uh, they will refresh the team. They will be better in the regular season uh, when they were before. Uh, and, you know, Ataman is in his comfort zone. He's returning home. He's a back-to-back -back champion, uh, champion. He doesn't need... Uh, uh, there are not many reasons why he should be nervous about his, his situation. Okay, in Eurobasket, he was the most vocal coach, uh, always unhappy in every media availability. But I, as I said, it was I think it was the project of the EuroLeague, the throwing the horse of the EuroLeague, just to go to FIBA tournament, to criticize FIBA over everything. And now he's back, you know, he did his job, and now he can just enjoy the ride uh, throughout the regular season. So I think that Ataman... He will get technicals, but he will uh, avoid being ejected uh, at least even one time. So we are we are staying we are staying with the patience topic, you know. <laughs> you think? Uh, I think that he's he's improving. Uh, his patience is there will, related. There will be thirty-four to the choices. winning record, and I think that they will get enough oh. wins to mm. be in a solid positions uh, in the playoffs uh, to make uh, Ataman Colmer, unless. Sasha Pukul will be the official because there's a very interesting stat I found actually on uh, Free Steps Basket. Uh, it's I highly recommend to follow this Twitter account. Uh, they have a lot of interesting stats, uh, Free Steps Basket. So uh, according to their calculations in the last two years, uh, Sasha Pukul, uh, Pukul calls almost one technical foul per game. And this is the most among the refs who have officiated in at least 50 games in the last two seasons. The other two, uh, I think that Damir Yavor and somebody else. So, yeah. Andrea Trinquer actually did the same improvement when he was ejected three times in season 2021. The following season, he avoided uh, a single ejection, but I tried to ask. Of course, I needed to do a big research. This is a big topic. <laughs> so, the answer was simple. When Trinquer got ejected three times, it was COVID season. So gyms were empty. You can hear everything the coach is saying. So fans last year, the noise around the court helped him to avoid uh, some ejections. Nice. So yeah, this is my first take. I don't have anything to add, actually. Uh, this is a very solid take. <laughs> very serious, I very mean, important. The, the research done was just, I mean. Yeah, you did your research. No, I, I didn't. Journalist investigation at its best. I, I didn't do that much homework, actually, but. You should change your Instagram bio, Donatus. <laughs> Investigative journalism. <laughs> yeah. That's what basketball needs in Europe. Anyway, I'm going to start on a really positive note. As I said, this EuroLeague is as strong as it gets. I think it's the strongest, most competitive 18-team tournament we've ever seen. And so far uh, with this new EuroLeague format, okay, at first it started with 16 clubs, then it went to 18. Uh, but uh, the most wins by the last seed were eight. Eight wins only. In my opinion, this season we're going to see a bigger number. I think even the last seed, whether it, it will be... As well, Jalgiris, Alba, or any other team, I think they will not be. They, they will be a tough nut to crack. They will definitely steal some wins from the playoff contenders, and uh, every team just looks very competitive. Even those that we're considering as underdogs or outsiders, I think Jalgiris can definitely 
beat some of those giants at home. Alba, we know their continuity, the way they were playing last season. Nobody will be surprised if this season playing in Berlin, they will get some wins against teams like Fenerbahce, Virtus, or any other. Uh, Asphalt, again, with the experience of Decolo and Laverne, when they're playing at home, also having a lot of physical players, they can surprise you. So I think that the last seed will have more than eight wins this season, and maybe even ten. That's how competitive the league is right now, in my opinion. Yeah, in the last part we discussed that, you know, that's why it was so hard uh, to rank those teams in the bottom yeah. six or seven, because any of these 13th seeded teams might end up, you know, like being 18th. You might example. have a two-win gap between 18th and 14th, for example. I could easily see that. Yeah. And we... we ten, win, ten wins by the last place is a great uh, thing to bet, to bet on, you know? I think... Uh, well, f- I'm betting more than eight, yeah. so nine also fits the idea, but ten wins, that would be impressive, really. For the last place. For the last place, yeah. Yeah, it just tells us how strong this tournament going to be at the upcoming season. Yep. Anything to add, Ogi? Not really, I agree. I agree that a lot of great teams... Uh, a lot of interesting players on the on the let's say these bottom teams that we predicted and uh, yeah, very similar quality of these teams. We received some feedback after the last episodes. A lot of people thought that we we underrated Panathinaikos, for example, and Alba also. And Alba, Alba yeah. yeah. I'm good for Alba. I mean, I put them in the 13th seed, I guess. So I mean, I'm again, okay. as I said, I was doing a power ranking. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't guessing their position in the regular season standings. I, w- I was just ranking their. General Talent, picture of the team, uh, yeah. Power, how how you say it. Somebody will have to lose and, you know. Yeah, that's life. That's basketball. So your second take? Uh, my second take is a question is, will the EuroLeague MVP be from, let's say, North America? Uh, my research, I, I took notes from Donatas. Okay, you also uh, says, says that Says that, group. yeah. Uh, last time it happened was 2006 when Anthony Parker won it. Uh, and uh, since 2004, when EuroLeague started giving full-season MVP trophies, only twice it has been given to uh, American players. Both times it was him. And uh, in my eyes, this is the best year for uh, someone uh, someone from, let's say, America. North America, it. right. North America, because I'm saying North America because uh, Kevin Pangos it is, is from Canada, although he has a European passport, but... He's one of my options, and uh, let me explain why I'm, I'm thinking this is going to happen this year. Uh, Miritich is out with a long-term injury, so he's you know he won't be in the MVP conversation. He yeah. will play not enough games. Uh, Vasilya Mitic has won it, so people you know are expecting something extraordinary from him to give it to him again. Like we saw a really good example in the NBA. If you win it once or twice, it's it's really hard. Um, it's only Anthony Parker actually who won MVP award twice. Yeah, twice, that's it. Mm. None other Euroleague player, yeah. of all these grades, didn't win two times. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that was uh, that was surprising also for me. I thought somewhere in there was uh, some American yeah. player. So, uh, Mitchis has to do something extraordinary to win it again. Um, and another sign, Will Clyburn. You know who might they might cancel a bit of each other's stats, and uh, who knows maybe Clyburn will be 
will take over the team, will have better stats, better shooting, more rebounds, more more efficiency maybe. So, um, you know, and uh, another thing I saw because I thought, okay, Walter Tavares is right there because Real Madrid probably going to be in the, you know, top three seed, top one seed maybe. Uh, but another stat I saw from these was that only one center has won it, uh, Jan Vesely. And seven times uh, out of 17 seasons, the MVP was given to the point guard. So uh, this is where Mike James comes in. I know they signed two uh, great ball handlers uh, that might reduce his minutes. He might not play that much this season, but I still think that um, this all conversation that started last year with the MVP going to Nikola Meredith is just going to, you know, get into this conversation very early this season and that's why people's people's opinions might influence this voting and because i know he is going to have a great season so i think monaco is going to be really good i put them in my top five and i think uh mike james is just destined to win this trophy this season i had will Clyburn also as my possible choice but um you know, there is with in a team with uh, Mitic, uh, Larkin, Ante Zizic is going to have great stats. I'm not sure if they're not going to cancel each other. Okay. Uh, Kevin Pangos also, but I don't think his stats are is just going to be just too much off from Mike James. Okay, those are solid arguments. Although um, my problem with this prediction is that uh, the MVP is not being voted just for the regular season. The playoff series the play also playoff. are in consideration when, when you're voting. So Monaco might have a good regular season, but if they face some of those big teams in the playoff series and they don't make it to the final four, it will be hard yeah. to see an MVP from a team that's not in the final four. So but is uh, this, I don't know. You're actually leading to my take because my second take is also related with the MVP and I, I agree with... Um, with that statement that, that the MVP will not be from Europe. However, my MVP comes from, so pardon my Portuguese, Cap Verde. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's Eddie Tavares, actually. I think he's a monster. He's a beast. His numbers are always there. Mm. Um, and it's about time he gets recognized, not just like a defensive player of the year, but as the the player that makes such an impact on the core that huge impact some teams are just being destroyed by Eddie Tavares and and his physical abilities and actually when I saw him in the Supercopa making jump shots <laughs> he's taking those mid-range jump shots and he starts hitting those there's no way of stopping him so Real Madrid is a probably a final four team they have to be a final four team yeah and Eddie Tavares will be there on the MVP voting ballot as you said Nikola Mirotic is not in the discussion right now for sure because he's gonna skip like half of the season so to me it makes a lot of sense that this will be Eddie Tavares MVP year we know that Real Madrid has their crazy rotation but the rotation more or less touches the guards the forwards and doesn't really impact the minutes of Yabusele and Tavares. They play their minutes. And Tavares, for him, sometimes it's 20 minutes is more than enough for him to get a double-double. I was thinking right now, what if he played, what if he plays 30 minutes a game, you know? How what what's his stats? There look was like? a situation when 
Real Madrid were facing an injury crisis in in not the last season but the season before. And I, I remember Tavares had a double game week in Euroleague and they were playing overtimes in Oaka and also against mm. Olympiacos in Peace and Friendship Stadium. And he averaged more than 40 minutes in, in, in these two games. Wow. And his stats were obviously crazy. And that, that was the game against Olympiacos when Randolph tore his Achilles tendon and, and Tavares just had to play because mm. they don't didn't have they didn't have Poirier back then. Uh, so I think he should be leading the league in the efficiency numbers, and and he he's a real possibility for the MVP. Even though, as you said, usually the MVP voting favors the guards, not the bigs. Just simply because you know, in my eyes, it's um, the guards create for for, sure. for the bigs. But yeah, I agree for with sure. you that Tavares is right there in the MVP will be right there because just his impact. But in a way, I'm agreeing with your take because you said the MVP is not going to be European. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Tavares. He would be uh, only yeah. the second outside the Europe player uh, to get this award. I'm checking the list of the MVPs. I, I really have a hard time uh, remember, uh, remembering if any of these players didn't make the final four uh, to get this uh, award. A lot of uh, big names over there, and I'm kind of sure that at least 95% of them made the final four. So it it might be this huge challenge for Mike James to win this award. And I also think that, especially in Tavares' case, uh, I believe he might keep same the same kind of numbers he has of course there might be some improvement but i think he has to avoid any exceptional performance by any other um, star player in the euroleague and especially if it, it will get combined with the team results for example because mike james leading monaco to the final four is already a big you know big thing which that's, that's a lot adds a lot of extra uh for for this uh you know uh, mvp race so if all the teams, as we predicted, uh, Barca, FS, Real Madrid, and Milan makes the final four. If Pangos is not, you know, doing some crazy, incredible things, I could easily see Tavares getting this uh, award. By the way, he was playing 26 minutes per game in two seasons ago, uh, actually, and he was averaging 11.4 points on 65% field goal shooting and eight rebounds and... 1.8 blocks. But in my eyes, game. he's just getting better with every season. Like at first, when Madrid signed him, uh, that was the season when Kuzmich got that ACL injury in the first game of the EuroLeague. Mm -hmm. And they were looking uh, for a center in the market. And they signed Tavares. And they didn't really... They didn't realize what they're signing, actually, at that moment. They didn't realize how good he's going to be. Because in that year, they won the EuroLeague and in the Final Four, he was one of the biggest factors why they, they beat Fenerbahce in the, in the final. And with every season, he gets better. His free throw shooting percentage is improving. Uh, he's more mobile. Sometimes you're even switching with Tavares and you're trusting him. And he he's more calm to, in my eyes. Mm, he's playing yeah. smarter. His decision-making has improved over the years. So just every season he looks better. And as I said, now in the Super Supercopa final, he took the jump shot with like 16 seconds still on the shot clock. Ooh. Sergio Yu had his <laughs> arms on his head. The shot went in. It was an easy jump shot for him. So who knows what we're going to see this season. Right? Who knows mm -hmm. And what's also important in the MVP conversation, he's healthy. He keeps being healthy. He's he always fit. He never oh, played man. less than 28 games in the EuroLeague he season. He is a beast. He is always fit. Yeah. But guys, do you uh, 
Do you have any problem with uh, the MVP voting being after the I do. quarterfinal? I do. Yeah, I do. I don't know, I don't know if you have season. talked it. Yeah. Last it season. has to be a regular season award, like in the NBA. I agree. Yeah, because playoffs might really change the picture. Uh, like it was two years ago when we had like Mirotic, one of the most clear candidates to win the, t uh, the title. And then he just failed in the playoffs oh, against Zenit. Yeah. And Mirotic basically took it uh, yeah. through the playoffs. Yeah. So, or it should be, you know, the full season award. I mean, including the playoffs and Final Four or just a regular season. No, I think you have to separate prize. it. But then, like, you know, but it's the team who wins best player from the best team. In most yeah, cases, there's no you have like the this. Final Four MVP, just like you have the NBA Finals MVP to yeah. appreciate greatness. Yeah. But the regular season MVP is a different story. And, and you need to consider different factors like... Did he carry his team? How good were his teammates? Like if somebody carries a team like Monaco, it's different than somebody getting big stats on, on Barcelona roster like Mirotic does. So to me, it's just a regular season award and, and, and the playoffs, it's a, it's a different matter. Anyway, uh, th that was my second take already because it had a clear connection no. to what yeah. August was talking. My, my, my second thing was also that was your turn. very related to Mike James. Uh, I just think that... <laughs> I love Mike James' related stuff on our podcast. I'm not yeah, so should sure. be sitting somewhere, right? <laughs> I think, you know. You talk so much about him and Monaco that... <laughs> as bad as it sounds, uh, I think he will have the lowest scoring season in six years. Ooh. But it may sound as the prediction which downgrades, downgrades Mike James. But actually, I believe that it's not, and it, I just see him being even more efficient, efficient, and being in this MVP conversation, being you know scoring less points than before, just just for for data, uh, his worst uh, scoring season in the last six, last six years was in the Panathinaikos, 2017-18. He was averaging 16.2 points. Uh, and year before, his average was 13 points. So I easily see him staying in this, um, in between 14, 15, 16 points, but being way more efficient. Because, for example, last year he was making only, he was shooting only 41% uh, from the field, and it included 31% three point shooting, which is poor. But now having these scorers around him with Jordan Lloyd and Elio Kobo. First of all, he will get less touches, less shots. He was averaging 13 uh, per game. And combined with Dwayne Bacon, uh, they basically took every third shot of Monaco uh, in the last EuroLeague season. But now he will have not only Dwayne Bacon, but he will have Elio Kobo, Jordan Lloyd. There is also Blossom game. Uh, so he will take less shots. And since Jordan Lloyd, Okobo, many other guys on the team, they have way more scoring options right now. They will require more attention, more respect from, from defense. And it will open better situations for Mike James to be more efficient. Uh, efficient. So less shots, uh, less points, but being more efficient. And, uh, you know, eventually it might help a team winning even more games and being... More, even more solid playoff uh, team for the upcoming season. It will still be uh, extremely solid numbers, let's say. Yeah, exactly. So as bad as it sounds, it's, it's not true that it downgrades uh, the player. But I'm not sure if I you're hear getting you, him. I hear you, but I don't, don't agree with you. <laughs> I think he'll stick to his at least 18-point average. I can easily see that as so well. If, if, if that's what you're saying, 
that there will be other ball handlers. It just means that he get he'll get more easier shots. It's true. Like last season, high percentage, especially against Olympiacos in the playoff series, you saw him taking so many difficult shots. I know he loves the sidestep, and sometimes it's an easy bucket for him. But playing next to Jordan Lloyd, Elio Kobo, and playing with 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 people like Donta Hall and John Brown, you will get easier looks, and you might not necessarily need more shots to yeah. average 18 points. That's your point. Also, yeah. he gets to the free throw line very often, so I think he he'll get his numbers. He might be a, a front runner for the Alfonso Ford Award. So I'm just sticking to to. to to I, Mike I was, James was, being the leading yeah. scorer of the league, not only of his own team. I was I was just analyzing, analyzing you know, uh, stats, uh, shots, and also I, I considered the fact that Monaco was already a highest scoring team. They averaged around uh, 84 points. And when I think, uh, and he was already uh, averaging 16 points. So when I thought that, can they get better uh, in this? Yes, for sure. But I think that these points going to come from uh, players like uh, Okobo and Lloyd. For example, it's incredible uh, to know that Okobo is actually replacing Danilo and Yushich, who was averaging seven points. Uh, Lloyd is, let's say he's replacing uh, Bacon. But every time Bacon got the ball, you know, it was a dead ball. Uh, he was making all those shots. So I just believe that this points distribution uh, will, be, will be a bit higher. I agree that Mike James can improve his scoring average because he will take this uh, better shots from what yeah. I hear, from what I understand. He might be rested in the French league uh, for the EuroLeague, so it might also help. But I just think that this margin between the top scorers and Monaco will be more equal than you know, it was before because it was only, basically it was Bacon or Mike James. But, you know, Mike James last season, he was averaging, uh, his averages were not that impressive. However, uh, let's remember that until Sasha Bradovic came for Zvezdan Mitrovic, he wasn't really performing. Like, there were games when he finished against Efes with four points, against Oli with seven, against Zvezda with eight. He, he was frustrated, probably. There were two different uh, yeah, yeah, versions. Of course. And then all of a sudden, Bradovic steps up and the numbers go up, not only points, but also assists. Like, his numbers in the second half of the season are crazy. Uh, which is why I'm thinking he, he's going to get those numbers, uh, even though he's playing with different teammates. I, I, I think that he will improve his assists. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think he was averaging, uh, I remember I did this research as well, he was averaging like something between 18 and 19 points uh, under Bradovic. So I guess uh, we'll have to settle this with a bet at the end of the podcast. Uh, Mike James uh, points average. We'll see. We'll see. Over under. We have a few other interesting bets, so we're good with that. So your yeah. third bold prediction. Uh, my third bold prediction is um, at least one EuroLeague rookie to make all EuroLeague first or second team. And the last time, you know, investigator August uh, strikes again. Uh, it happened, if I'm not mistaken, it's Ekpe Yudo and uh, Quincy Miller doing it in the 2015-2016 season. Um, it's really hard for a rookie to shine in the EuroLeague and, you know, to arrive in the first and second team is an impressive feat. Um, but this season I see a couple potential names that might just get there, even though, you know, when you look at the first and second team names, every time it's the name and in parentheses you see that which time. It's, it's not the first time usually, it's 
usually a 70-60% of the names are there for a couple of seasons in a, in a row or for not the first time. So uh, it would be really impressive if someone would manage it. And, uh, you know, John Motley from Fenerbahce, uh, because I think for a big player, it's a little bit easier. And obviously you have to be from a team that is winning, let's say at least 50% of the game. So Fenerbahce just might do that this season. Um, Sami Ozile from Bologna Virtus. I have him as a candidate here, but Virtus would need a great season and him. Uh, we already saw that he's pretty, let's say in the, in the cup of Italian cup and the first league game that he's, he will be a huge weapon for them this year. Um, there is also Cassius, how do you say his name? Cassius Winston from, from Bayern. Yep. He was just hot in this, uh, Preseason scoring 32, having great first games in the um, in the uh, Bundesliga. Um, maybe Carson Edwards with his scoring ability, although I'm not sure only points from him would do that, knowing that Scotty Wilbekin is there and, and Nick Kalidis. But you know, it's a it's a bold prediction. Uh, we are here today for it, so I think one rookie at least will be in the first, let's say, second Euroleague team, because first would be. Incredible. Yeah, good, good, good take. Good names you mentioned. I really see that happening. I just checked the list of these all Euroleague teams, and usually each season they have two, three new players. As, and as you mentioned, it's kind of in a closed uh, club, closed circle. Not, not easy to get in, but yeah, I see, I see some room for you know, for these guys. There are a lot of interesting players in the, um, let's say, teams that are not probably going to be in the playoffs. Mm. Mm. So it makes them really hard, you know. It, it makes it really hard, although I expect like, you know, good numbers from some of these guys, but uh, you know, the first and second team voting are usually, uh, winning plays a huge part in it. So I, I, I find it very hard for those players uh, from the second. Uh, Last year we had Papayanis. Uh, the only name without the playoff participation, uh, basically. Looking at previous seasons, I don't even know who didn't make you know, the playoffs. I, so. I think for a big guy to make that is, is, is a bit easier than uh, for a guard mm -hmm. uh, from a bottom team to, to do it. So, uh, and all of these uh, bottom teams have rookies that are guard in in the guard position. So that's why I kind of you know, Jared Harper or mm. other, other, other names. Um, so I just, I just looked at those who might get into the playoff picture. You mentioned at least two players, uh, from the team, which I'm going to make a really bold prediction about. And mm. that just makes their case stronger for this bold prediction, because if we are expecting that Motley and Edwards can make, uh, Mm. at least second year league team it means that they might have a good season and they still already have really really great players around so my bold prediction is that despite uh making all these rankings and kind of agreeing on all top four locks uh for the Euroleague season my bold prediction okay let let's just make clear these predictions are the ones who in some situations we might you know Maybe we're not big believers in these <laughs> predictions, but that's why they're bold. And in some situations, that's why they, you know, 
mm, split genius uh, from from morons, for okay. example. We could just rename them crazy predictions. Crazy for, predictions. for this one at least. So so far, <laughs> my craziest is prediction is that Fenerbahce will play in the Euroleague final. And in the I, final. Exactly. Yeah. It makes it okay. even more crazy. I will just explain why. You already mentioned two really promising rookies. I have less doubts about Motley. He will need time. He uh, The preparation for the season was not easy for him, but they will have time, I believe. But Edwards, we'll see. But even when... I, I mean, just let's just look at each case individually. They have two-time EuroLeague champion head coach, Dimitri Satoudis, one of the best coaches in the tournament. They have Nikolaitis, probably the best passer in the EuroLeague. They have Scott Wilbekin, one of the elite scorers uh, in the EuroLeague. They have former MVP uh, Nemanja Belica. They have a lot of interesting assets, uh, pieces, role players, however you call it, I mean, uh, you name it. Uh, but these players are really solid, like uh, Devin Booker. I know even Nigel Hayes. When he was, when he's not playing for, he's Charis, really solid in preseason. Uh, he first of all, he's great defender, and when he's not playing for Sharas, he's making three pointers by 43, 44 percentage. Uh, that's that's just data. Yeah, uh, they have Marco Gudrich. He might come from the bench, uh, for example, depending on the lineups they're gonna have. And each of them, they're. I mean, I think that their most talented team. We had uh, outside the top four locks uh, we we presented, mm. and for sure they uh, they're gonna need time. Uh, but still, I think that they have time, and if they will make the playoffs, then you never know the injuries, the momentum of the season. I think that they have it all to make the final four actually, because it's not about only about talent, uh, but it's also a lot about the motivation for Kalaitis to prove that Charles and Barca were dead wrong for Wilbekin to show that he belongs to the elite uh, with the guards like Mike James or, or Shane Larkin. He's coming to Fener at his peak. He's only 29. Uh, Nemanja Belica, he's turning NBA, uh, turning down NBA offers to come back uh, to Fenerbahce. And as I said, it's a really deep and very nicely constructed team, which mm. might surprise and might be the dark horse uh, of the EuroLeague well, season. The dark horse with with such a big budget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's Bayern see. is a dark horse. Yeah, when they're making yeah. the playoffs. This is not a dark horse. I d well, I don't think it's impossible what you're saying, but if I had to pick one team outside of that big four that that we we we've discussed uh, last week, I would go with Olympiakos because Fenerbahce is a team built from scratch. It's a completely mm. new team, and Olympiakos have the same team, the same system, the same coach. We know they have one of the best defensive ratings in, in, in the league. And the players that they're added, they're really good, valuable players like Peters or, or Bolomboy, even Isaiah Cannon. So if I compare Olympiakos and Fenerbahce like player by player, you could say that Fener has more star power and, and maybe more individual talent. But if I had to guess which team has a better shot at making it to the final, I would go with Olympiacos, actually. Okay. We'll see. Monaco was a great example. You can build a team in October, basically, or in December or January. That's why I, I said it's, yeah. what you're saying is not impossible. Is It's not that crazy. You're, I mean, you're not saying that Jalgiris is yeah, going to be yeah. in the final, but yeah. If only they're going to find the chemistry, if going to stay healthy, and if all these players, uh, they will prove So that would be like the Turkish Derby in the final for you? Could be. Istanbul Why not? Derby? Why not? Okay. 
It took some time to convince myself about this take, <laughs> but I really, I really see many arguments yeah. uh, behind it. My last take is pretty boring, probably. So we're gonna, we're not gonna spend too much time talking about this. But I actually wanted to pick one player that was not mentioned at this table in our last podcast when we were previewing the season and discussing all eighteen teams and ranking them. Did we mention it um, today? No, we Something. didn't mention that name. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so trying I, to guess really yeah, quick. I, I, <laughs> I will say he's gonna be the first nominee of the player you weren't talking about, but now you fell in love with him. Okay. Uh, this is a guy from Cuba, Havana, oh, and it's Jaciel okay. Rivero uh, Fernandez from I think you mentioned Valencia. him when we talked I'm about not sure. You maybe, said he, said maybe once he or twice. A, he got a mention, but you know, really quickly, like maybe Valencia has twice. great players, Chris Jones, Jesse Luero. Yeah, but said yeah. something that he's but, a beast in the paint. Yeah, yeah, but maybe his name was lost uh, uh, for sure, we didn't yeah. in, single out him in the s- in the ocean of names like Ojale, Edwards, and yeah. all Motley and all the other newcomers. So Jaciel Rivero, you will definitely fall in love with him if you've never saw him play in the Euro Cup or ACB, because he has so much passion. First of all, he's a warrior, he's a fighter, he's a, an extremely physical player. He's just crashing the boards all the time. He's gonna get a couple of double doubles, I'm sure about that. And he scores a lot from second chances. And you could say he's not very skilled, but the fighting spirit that he has in him sometimes beats the skill. And I just love this player. I, I really loved watching him last year. Also, uh, before he played for Burgos, he he twice won the FIBA Champions League with them. And, and, and he developed his game. He got better, actually. And he's 28 right now in, in his peak. So it's about time for him to show show his abilities uh, to the Euroleague. I think he's only the second Cuban ever to play in the Euroleague because the first one was Howard Centros. And yeah, so they have a smart coach, Alex Mumbrou. He will definitely find the best position for, for Jaciel Rivera because for some coaches he's a four, for, for others he's a five. And he should get some assists from, from their backcourt players. Definitely. And also Harper, second chances. Harper. He just gets yeah. a lot of second chances and he grabs the rebounds. He's an amazing rebounder. You're, so you're that's like, just my last take. Maybe it's it's not the uh, most interesting yeah. one, but no, I like. This I one. recommend I like this watching Jaciel Rivero and the way he's playing and he's just leaving his heart on the floor. You really should introduce this Alberto Diaz type of award, you know. For the players, <laughs> players, uh, nobody was players. we're talking maybe, about. Maybe I I can rephrase it. He's gonna be the John Brown of this season. Ah, okay. Because yeah. John Brown is now somebody we already know and appreciate. Mm. But before last season, probably we didn't. Yeah. And Jaciel Rivera is gonna be the new John Brown this year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's call it John Brown's award. Yeah. Okay. So you started this talking about him and Valencia. I know we all f- finished, right, with the... Yeah. Yes. Uh, that was my extra one, but I didn't probably convince myself too much. Valencia in the playoffs? I think they're going to be close. I think they're better than Basconia. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure better than Basconia. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I mean, that was my fourth choice. Um, it's, you know, you say this is crazy bold yeah. predictions. Okay. So... If I if somebody had mentioned mine uh-huh. of my first three, that was going to be my my number four. So what were the arguments, you know, that took you from convincing, convincing yourself, making this prediction? 
I mean, just uh, like I said last year, you know, Chris Jones is has EuroLeague experience. We know he's going to have great season. Uh, Jared Harper is another name that will be mentioned throughout the season much more than we are talking about him now. Um, you know, R just Radibol his, uh, also what Radebaugh also. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, John Radebaugh. Um, you know, there is the, the face of Valencia Dubljevic still there. Um, we you, ha you have some wings that can know how to defend. Yeah, role players. Uh, good role players, and the coach is you know let's say the next. I think he was he's going to be the next big name, uh, and I really I'm really interested to see how his ideas are going to fit uh, against the, the highest level of talent in the Euroleague. So I know it's really hard to take some one team from the first eight because there are just some huge names uh, with teams that have much more money to invest but uh, I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the run until the last rounds and uh, but I was like okay the, the other three uh, takes are more convincing so that was my the fourth one yeah okay so now we can go with five uh, things we're betting okay. on and as we mentioned, we, we will make some calculation, you know, I mean, the right one who, who will be right the most, he, he will win and he will avoid uh, this some shameful uh, thing we're going to do in the pod at the end of the regular season. So let's begin with the first one. I think that we all had Partizan in the top 10 of our power rankings. Yeah, nine uh, or whatever. And let's say they're, you know, close uh, to the playoffs and we predict that basically teams who are close to the playoffs they're 17 18 19 win. wins yeah you need more than 17 yeah 17 is not enough yeah probably uh but since we have them in between eighth and 10 seed with august we agreed that we can discuss 17.5 wins for partisan over or under. That's an easy under for me. They're going under, right? I don't think that they're that great. I have a feeling that they will improve their roster throughout the season. And I think that they will get there. I'm Okay, I put them eighth in my power rankings. I'm not so sure if they're finally going to make the playoffs. But I think that they will win at least 18 games. So I have them over 17.5. I have them under as well. I think they will get to like... 15 to 17 wins, if I had to predict the amount of wins, I think. But I don't see them winning 50% uh, of games. Not because they are bad, but there mm. are so many good teams and uh, uh, so many points to lose when you're playing away from your uh, fierce fans. Uh, mm. to, so um, we, we mentioned, we already said that it's going to be probably the most uh, competitive EuroLeague. Mm. So I think um, eighth place will need like 19 wins. To get to the playoffs probably, at least probably yeah. in some yeah. situations they need 20. and uh i see them winning let's say 16 17 games so I, for me it's also under yeah that's good for the bet yeah uh, to have different uh takes uh the number of coaches that gonna be fired throughout the season with august we also discussed the the, the number 
Over or under? That's because uh, Reed is before you. Counted you, five, you yeah, right? Yeah. No, no, four. Four, because okay. I, I've mentioned four. Uh, I had the same list and I was like, okay, there has to be some... Someone else. Someone else or... Uh, Those four are the clear suspects, actually. Uh, or should we do it 3.5 because maybe, you know... No, nah, 4.5 is, 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 is fine because okay. who knows? Maybe yeah. something happens in Asphalt, for example. Maybe TG Parker. There might be some underachievers, for example, uh, from all I'm these not, big teams. I'm not even so sure if Coach Kaziz is, is, is that secure in, in Jalgiris that they're not going to consider his position if, if they, they will be losing games. So... I mean, after last season, <laughs> who knows? I, I would say over, actually. I would say at least five teams will change their head coaches mm -hmm. during the season. Okay, let, let me count. Read this over. Uh, Alba, FS, I mean, Monaco. It wouldn't shock me, honestly, if there are problems in Monaco and they, they will replace Sasha Bradovic because they will not replace five players. So it's, it's just it's, so much easier to replace a coach. That's another yeah. thing in that conversation yeah, with so the impatience. I'm I'm going with with over four and a half. I have also four, but for example, who knows? I mean, you just praised Mumbro, but his rookie coach. Who knows how this rookie year league experience could, will go? It for could him. go quickly, very wrong. So. Both ways, exactly. Ah, uh, but I will try to support all of our coaches. So I say that under. And August? Uh, let me go with under as well. Okay. Let's see. Four. But it might be an easy point for Edis. I'm not sure. Could be, could <laughs> be. Let's hope that they're going to be patient. The third one. Who will lead the EuroLeague in technicals? And we have some stats from Darius uh, Garwales. Uh, and there are the last year's uh, leaders. Sharas had 11 technicals. Trinkieri had nine, Ataman had seven. It's crazy that he had seven technicals and he got ejected three times. Okay, so Barsokas, four, Radonjic, four, Lasso, four, he's gone, Mitrovic, four, he's gone. But we're not considering players, we're just... Coaches, right? Coaches, yeah. We're just talking about yeah, coaches. Yeah. And we have to put the name. Mm, I think I think Shadas is going to be leading in technicals again because it's, it's going to be a hard season for Barcelona. Uh, even the beginning of the season is 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 difficult. Uh, he already got a technical in the Supercopa. I'm not sure about the ACB League games. I I didn't have time to watch them. Like I believe yesterday they played Basconia. Uh, so I think he's gonna be up there once again. But Trinkieri will be really. There's Jelko as well. Oh yeah, there's Jelko. There's there's the new but player. But he has this respect. So. Um. I know, yeah. uh, you know, we shouldn't let uh, Ritis answer first the next question because now it seems like, okay, I'm copying Ritis. But I had the same identical thinking about Charas. It's It will be a hard, let's say, at least half a season for him. So Now you put me in a tough situation. He will be putting a lot of pressure on the refs, obviously. He's already doing that and the season barely mm -hmm. even started. Donatas, if you are, if you wanted to pick Charas as well, we could just do uh, technicals over and under for sure. I'm just trying to... Yeah, we could, we could do yeah, it. Because if we had the same... We, we have... I mean, I know you want to pick him the, the, the same I'm answer. trying to win some extra points in these conversations because... <laughs> yeah, because I know knows, that, maybe that, he gonna that be Jelko maybe will change the standings 
as he's coming back to the EuroLeague, but he will not get 11 technicals. I don't see that happening. No, 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 me neither. And if Euro- you said that Ataman will will cut on his ejections, and probably you're imagining him getting less tees as well. So it's only a debate between Trinkieri and Sharas, in my opinion. Unless but Coach Kasis Maxvitas also... <laughs> surprises us. <laughs> Damn. I, I mean, actually, Sharas leads the entire EuroLeague uh, in technical starting from 2016 and 17 season with the new EuroLeague format. Just just for data, Sharas has 44 technicals and the second best, Ataman, has 34. Trinkieri, 33. Bartsokas, 31. Itudis, 26. But yeah, it's tough to find any anybody. Okay, I'll go with Trinkieri just to make it uh, more interesting. I see the loser. Although I think that... <laughs> okay, he might be nervous. It might be really hard to repeat the playoff run once again. For the third consecutive year, it, it would be a huge, huge achievement for Bayern. Another, you know, overachieved season. So let's say they will be out of the playoffs, then Kieri will get nervous, and he will have more technicals than Charles. I'll go with it. All right. The fourth But one. you don't really believe in it. No, I'm not a big believer. <laughs> uh, well, this whole really podcast is staged and <laughs> based on lies, because <laughs> you're, you're, it's an easy you're saying point. something that you don't believe. It's, it's an easy point, Ritis. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm just, it's an easy yeah. point. Yeah, you don't want that retro jersey one. <laughs> I'm gonna shut my mouth. <laughs> I want these spicy wings. Okay, the fourth one, the best uh, scorer of the Euroleague, the Alfonso Ford Trophy winner, goes to Mike James. Losing points here. Donatus, mm. do you have a? No, I'm just choice? checking the going through the the list list of teams. I'm just thinking, who else? Vasily Mitic. He might lead the league in efficiency, but scoring. Well, of course, Shane Larkin is not going to be playing until December, but they added Will Clyburn. Yeah. I don't know. As you said, Zizic will get plenty of opportunities. Okay, there is a lot of the paint. I'm going with Scott Vilbikin. I think that he has better players around him. Uh, he will have better shot selection because of it, because of Nikolaitis. Nikolaitis made Nikola Mirotic uh, the MVP last season, so I believe... I'm a big <laughs> Fenerbahce believer in this pod, so I believe that he's going to be Alfonso for trophy winner. Oof. I think... I mean, again, it's just predictions. I think he's not going to make it to the top five. Ooh, that's a big one. I, I don't think it's a big one. Why are you underestimated him so much he was fourth best last year although the numbers weren't impressive last year in general i mean misic was the top scorer with 18.2 and the second best mirotic was 69 and we remember that we had seasons with two or three players being over so 20. i don't think that uh Wilbekin will get bigger numbers than he did in maccabi you know points. what i'm changing my opinion <laughs> 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 not, because not because of that okay man uh, because I remembered one player who's gonna have a lot of responsibilities on offense. He was always in the conversation of being of the one of the top scorers. Maybe Nando De Colo. Mm, I'd rather go with Kevin Punder actually. Uh-huh. Kevin Punder to me is definitely a top five lock in in the scoring department, and he could be. Uh, 
a huge contestant for for the Alfonso Ford Trophy. Yeah, I, I, I'm going with Mike James, but I believe that Punter will average above 17 points per game. How much did he have in in Milano? Last he was playing there. I just know that in Partizan in Eurocup he wasn't uh, at the top. I think. I mean, maybe not even top five. Well, let's check the stats. Yeah, McCollum was first with 20, 20, 22. Check the numbers. And then Punter was 16.2. He was just m missing three-pointers badly. Only In Milan, playing for Messina, he was averaging 14.3 points per game, shooting 39% from Partizan has an, enough good players. Usually in Shelko's teams, they don't have one, uh, mm. one guy who scores. So... I doubt it. I was trying to search for maybe, you know, an underdog here, but I'm still going to go with Mitic. Okay. Okay. I was maybe like, you know, thinking... Think wants. So James, Mitic, and... One second. And you're changing the again? The color... No, no, the color will begin. The color will begin. Damn, the call is pretty old, right? Okay, I'll go with Wilbekin. Uh, and the last one, the fifth one, uh, yeah, Fenerbahce in this uh, new format, yearly era, Fenerbahce holds the regular season record of 25 uh, five wins uh, in the regular season. Are we going to have at least a single team which will match or will improve this yearly record? Well, you're looking at me, and I, I, I literally said that the bottom team will have... 10 wins. wins. Yeah, 10 so, wins. So do you think I believe that regular season winners will beat this record? Not really. Nope. I don't see any team dominating the regular season with so many wins. The league is just too competitive and, and too close. I also believe that Real Madrid might be close to it. FS, who knows, Milan. But I don't see anybody matching this number, so I'm also out. August has second thoughts, no? Uh, yeah. Let me go with the S. Okay. Just to make it... And, again, and, I'm, and I'm hoping in Real Madrid. And again, you're saying that or are you believing in it? No, I think they you're will get 24. You're just exposing us. Okay. You're just 25. exposing our podcast. Okay. I'm no, I know, I know it's going to be competitive, but uh, I think uh, is, there is going to be one team that, you know, will have some, some long runs. Okay, fair enough. So... Okay, so this is it, guys. This spot was full of speculations, but I hope we brought some interesting ideas to consider for the upcoming season. And yeah, uh, let's the EuroLeague season begin. Two days away? Three days away? Three days away. It's just a shame with, with the scheduling and, and those times that like... The all these five, games all clashing each games, other? All five games on Thursday... They start more or less at the same time. I will I have know. to work with Jalgiris and then I I will go back home and watch uh, some at least one more game on on, on tape delay <laughs> because that's the only only option for me. If if you're sitting at home, you can watch multiple games on multiple devices. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. I agree. My two best games for round one starts at the same time. Same day, same day, Virtus against Monaco and Barca hosts Olympiacos. Yep. Both on Friday. And both at the same time? Yep, yep, yep. 
or you play one game uh, in in a week. You know, each team plays one time, and you have all of the games in at the same time in in two days. So that's uh, well, another the, another thing to uh, to consider. Well, the worst new leadership. They the they don't want to clash with the UEFA Champions League for for television purposes, and that that that's smart because why would you want to compete for TV audience with with the biggest event? Yeah, but what about making uh, different times? You know. I know. I think each team decides the home time when they want to play. But uh, what if we could manage, you know, with some early times uh, and late later times in some countries, so you could watch at least two games in this in the same day. So that's if you make two games on Thursday and two makes two games on Friday, that's already four games uh, one person can watch. You know, but there is a lot of interesting names. You know, to, with to Russian follow, so. teams out, usually these were the teams who started games earlier. You remember what happened with Milan starting the game at six o'clock. And you know which markets yeah, I'm not, could mm. you know be in favor of starting games at six? For Turkey. Example. Well, at least Jalgiris will be starting at eight. Eight. So, so it's pretty early, yeah, uh, by European star- standards. But for example, in Vilnius, when we have Rita's games at seven o'clock, it's you know it's a big problem of traffic jams and people just finishing their work. So, I don't really see markets. Who would like to start games mm. earlier than 8.30 as we see FS well, and Cervantes. Then it leaves us with this uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Yep. That's all for now. Augusta Svišnauskas, Eita Svišnauska, Donatos Rubunas, thanks for watching us and please don't forget to subscribe our channel and click the like button under this video. See you next week.